was amazing how it all came together. which we commemorate our pastor's anniversary of being our pastor 13 years ago, first Sunday in August. <laughs> Dedicated a lot of babies, married some folks, buried some folks. We've had a, a great 13 years, paid down a lot of debt. So in honor of our pastor, uh, we've got a love offering basket in the back, and if you'd like to make a contribution we want you to take Susan and go out and have a dinner, go to a movie, buy her some shoes, do something nice, <laughs> and just a reminder that we love you. Thanks so much. Uh, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, it's hard to believe it's been 13 years. You know, the old saying is very true that time flies when you're having fun, and it has been fun. It's been a, a fun 13 years. Um, I, I saw a picture not too long ago of, uh, of me. I think it was when I first got here, and my hair wasn't quite as white as it is now. Uh, so that is testimony that I have been here for a little while. Uh, but I am so grateful for the opportunity to be your pastor. It, it has been a blessing all the way through, and so I'm very grateful for each of you as well. So welcome today. We're glad that you are here with us this morning um, at Community Baptist Church, and we welcome each of you. We welcome our guests especially and hope that God will bless you in a very special way and that you will feel very much a part of our family as we worship God together. Uh, let me remind everyone of our attendance sheets on each row. We'd like to ask if you would to take those and fill them out so we could have a record of your attendance and then pass it down the aisle so others can fill it out as well. Uh, we would certainly appreciate it. And we have uh, several things that I want to call to your attention. We're about to, it's the beginning of August, and we're about to launch into a very busy week, or a busy month, let me say that. Uh, beginning next week, our, our Hoops and Cheers basketball and cheerleading program will be begin to get into full swing. Uh, we are sending the brochures out with the, to the schools, and that's our, our major way of uh, of getting kids informed about this. We send the brochures out through the schools, and that will happen one week from tomorrow, a week from tomorrow. And one of the things that we do when we take the brochures to the schools is we like to bribe our teachers with cookies. <laughs> and so we are looking for, for people to, uh, to make two or three dozen cookies and bring them and uh, we're looking for about 15 or 20 people to do that so we can have enough cookies to, to send around to the different schools. So if you can have that done next week and bring them, we would appreciate it. Uh, also, you may uh, have heard something about something special coming uh, our way in a few weeks, and that is the eclipse. The total eclipse of the sun will be taking place on August the 21st. Uh, it'll be a partial eclipse here in Henderson, I understand, but it will be a full eclipse uh, in Berna, Kentucky, which is where we're going. Uh, Felicia's father uh, has a, a farm down there, and we are going down there to, uh, to have a cookout and observe the, uh, the, the uh, eclipse that day. And so everyone is invited to come. If you can, we will be leaving the church at least by 9 o'clock. Maybe earlier if we feel like we need to, but it'll be at least by 9 o'clock. So we'll kind of call that as the time approaches. And so if you'd like to be a part of that, there's a sign-up sheet on the table as you leave. Uh, just put your name on there, and, um, and we'll, uh, we'll enjoy that time together. Another similar activity with our, uh, our upperclassmen 
is uh, the Voices of Elmwood. This is a historical theatrical production over in the Elmwood Cemetery in Owensboro. And what they do is they take a character that is buried in that cemetery and reenact their lives and tell their stories. And, and I think Sue Berry is going to be one of the actors. She's been involved with this for many years, and this is the first year I think she's going to be one of the actors this year. And so we're going to go on September the 28th, but we need to get tickets pretty soon, right? They, okay, they go on sale tomorrow. So if you're interested, there's also a sign-up sheet on the table. Uh, the tickets are 1620 $16.20 for the tickets? Okay. <laughs> I thought that was a little weird, the 20 cents there, but that, that, that explains it. So thank you. Um, and also, uh, we're planning a, a, an outing to the Cardinals game on August the 26th, and there's a sign-up sheet back here for that. And, um, and the Women's Mission Group will be having their dinner at Rookies on August the 29th. So, wow, we got lots going on, don't we? So, so uh, buckle your seatbelts. We're on our way. So, oh, yeah, there's a ham recipe. Uh, some of you who went to the McCutcheon Meadows fell in love with the ham there, the recipe is on the table there if you would like to, to do that, like to get that. Uh, and it was good. Uh, we've got lots going on, so buckle your seatbelts. We'll be, uh, we'll be in, in high gear here for a little while, but, uh, but it's good to be busy for God and to enjoy this time together. Uh, it's good to share this time of fellowship together. So let me now invite you to stand if you're able, and let's, uh, let's just greet each other in the name of the Lord and share the love of Christ.
Please join me in our responsive reading for for today. Uh, It's printed on your bulletin and also on the screen. It's titled, Justice. Disturbing God, when we forget that you created each person in your image... When we impose our own will over those already oppressed, when we increase the volume of self-serving speech while others have no voice, when we are silent in the presence of enemies of peace, When we fail to make room for the needs of others in our familiar places, when we turn our backs on the pain of others rather than walk with them toward their healing, oh God. Disturb us with your unguarded compassion until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream.
Let us pray. Our most wonderful and gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning in humble praise and adoration for who you are and what you mean to us. Lord, we thank you for all of our abilities and all the people that you put in our lives. We can't say thank you enough. But this is a time, Lord, when we can say thank you by giving of our lives, giving of our tithes and our offerings to you this blessed morning. Amen. Scriptures found in Matthew 15, beginning at verse 21. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tortured by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is the word of the Lord for us today.
Thank you, choir. What a beautiful song. <coughs> she was a single mom with a special needs child, and she desperately needed Jesus' help. Okay, the scriptures don't say that she was single, but our lesson doesn't uh, mention her husband. And if she were married, we would wonder where he was in a situation like this. And I've seen enough single moms courageously facing difficult obstacles in their lives that I can imagine that she may have been one of them. Perhaps her husband had been killed in an accident or simply died young, as many people did in those days. Or maybe when he saw the extent of his daughter's disability, he decided that he didn't want that kind of responsibility and just walked out. That happened back then, too, just as it does today. We don't know all the background to this story, but we do know that this was a woman who needed help. The story takes place in the region of Tyre and Sidon. We have the map up here. This is Canaanite territory. You see Tyre and Sidon marked in red there. And if you'll notice, Jerusalem and Judea is not even on this map. It's way down below this, down south of this, this area. So this is way up in the northern part. And this was Canaanite territory. A woman from that region came out to Jesus crying, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Now, we don't know how this so-called demon possession manifested, manifested itself. Her daughter may have been suffering from epileptic seizures. And, and those of you who have had children who uh, have, have experienced a seizure, either from epilepsy or perhaps a, a high fever, you know how scary that can be. And so just try to imagine a, a pre-scientific, superstitious woman experiencing something like that. You can imagine how they might label their child as being demon-possessed. And then there is Jesus' reaction to this desperate woman's request for help. To be honest, it's disturbing. Truth is that he didn't respond at all, at least not at first. And that seems so out of character for Jesus, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus always responded to human need. We see it in story after story after story in the Bible. But he didn't this time. And his disciples They certainly didn't want anything to do with this woman. They urged him to send her away for she keeps crying out for us. She's making a scene for goodness sakes. Jesus, this is embarrassing. Send her off. Send her away. And then, as if things couldn't get any worse, Jesus turned to this woman and said something that has disturbed his followers for more than 2,000 years now. He said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. What did he mean by that? Was he testing her? Maybe so. But didn't Jesus know that his mission was to the the whole world? Well, actually, there's a theory that says that when Jesus came into the world, he totally emptied himself and became just like you and me, just like we are. And so as a child and as a youth growing up, he grew in his understanding of his relationship with God. And his understanding uh, continued to grow even as he became an adult and, and began his ministry. And we see that many times as Jesus went to God in prayer. We see it in the in the Garden of Gethsemane as he sought God and God's will for his life and he struggled with what God wanted wanted him to do. And so maybe at this stage of his ministry, he truly believed that he had been sent only to the Jewish community. Maybe this Canaanite woman was sent by God to show him that he had, not, he had come not just for the Jews, 
but for the salvation of the whole world. It's a theory. And it is not without biblical reference. When Jesus was an adolescent, Luke tells us that he kept increasing in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and humans. So maybe this was a wake-up call for Jesus sent by God as his mission to the world was unfolding. So anyway, his response to this woman who had come for his help was, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Well, that was not what this woman was hoping for, was it? He was basically saying to her, you're a Canaanite woman, and I'm not here to help you. I'm only here for the Jews. That is not what she wanted to hear. But she would not be denied. She came and she knelt before him and said, Lord, please help me. Well, here we go again. Jesus' reply seems to be so out of place that we don't know what, what to do with it. We don't know how to take it. He said to this woman, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Really? This is Jesus speaking? Can you believe that? Jesus was actually comparing this woman to a dog? I know the, the word that's used here was, was a, a gentle term for dog, which denotes a, a household pet as opposed to a, a wild mongrel. But, and we all love our pets, don't we? But still, Jesus referring to a woman even as a, as a pet pretty disturbing, isn't it? It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Use your imagination here and look at this woman kneeling before Jesus, pleading for help. I can just picture her after she, after he says this to her, after Jesus insults her, basically, I can just picture this woman who is still kneeling before Jesus, looking up to him and catching his eyes as she said, perhaps with even a little bite in her voice, Yes, it is, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. I can't tell you how much I admire this woman. She lived in a time when women didn't get the respect that they do today. Although I would argue that women still don't don't get the respect that they deserve. I thought I'd get some amens out of that. Even thumbs up there. Come on, men, let's join the women and amen in that. Okay, thank you. They don't. And this woman lived in a time when they got even less respect than they do now. And just as impressively, she was not one of the chosen people. She was not Jewish. She was Canaanite. And the Jews really did consider the Canaanites to be not much better than dogs. That was what the relationship was between the Jews and the Canaanites in those days. Not much better today between the the people in Israel and Palestine. But this woman was a fighter. She was going to gain Jesus' respect for herself as well as healing for her daughter by answering him as if she were the equal of any man in the district. Don't you admire her? She was bright. She was articulate. She stood up for what she believed. And I, I, I say that 
I admire her, and I, I admire her spunk and her perseverance here. But you know what? It seems evident to me that Jesus admired her too. When she so superbly replied to what could have been taken as an insult, Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request has been granted. And her daughter was immediately healed. Wow. What a great story that is. Not the story that we look for from Jesus, but what a great story that is. This woman earned Jesus' respect, and even more importantly, she had her daughter healed. She accomplished what she wanted to accomplish. So what are some of the lessons that we can learn from this courageous woman? Well, here's the first one. There are times... In our lives, I believe, when Christ wants us to stand up for ourselves. Let's think about this woman's situation for a moment. Jewish men traditionally did not speak to women in public. It just did not happen. Traditionally, they did not speak even to their own wives in public, and especially rabbis like Jesus was. In Jewish culture, women were valued, in, in that day, women were valued only for their childbearing and their mothering skills. In the eyes of most Jewish men, that's all they were good for. Sorry, ladies, that's just the way it was. And men had the authority to divorce them at will for any reason or for no reason at all. But a woman did not have that right to divorce her husband for any reason. At the time of Christ, women were not allowed equal access to the temple. A woman wasn't even allowed to read the scriptures and was not counted as a member of the, of the congregation. Even, even one of their most respected rabbis, a hundred years, about a century after Jesus, was quoted as saying, one must utter three doxologies every day. Praise God that he did not create me a heathen. Praise God that he did not create me illiterate. And praise God that he did not create me a woman. So you see, that's the situation that this woman found herself in. Every strike was against her. Wrong gender, wrong religion, wrong nationality. But still, what did she do? She spoke up. And Jesus loved her for it. Don't you love it when somebody stands up for their convictions? Don't you just love it? Far too many of us, we give in and we... And we give up when we're confronted with some injustice in our, in our lives or in the world. And we just say, okay, I'm just not going to make any waves here. I read a great story about a couple who stood up for an injustice during the housing crisis a few years ago when so many homes were being foreclosed on. The story is set in Naples, Florida. It seems that in 2011, Warren and Maureen Nierges paid $165,000 in cash to buy a home. And so you can imagine their surprise when a few months later, Bank of America, in an obvious mistake, filed a foreclosure claim against them. How could that be? They paid cash for their house. How could that be? And yet the bank had filed foreclosure papers on it. And so Warren and Maureen fought the procedure in court, and they won. Justice prevailed. And the, the judge not only dismissed the foreclosure, but he also ordered the bank to, to pay the, the, the court costs for this family, about $2,500. But the bank refused to pay the court costs. And so Warren and Maureen took matters into their own hands. You see, they went to court themselves and got the orders and showed up at a Naples branch of the Bank of America with a court-approved foreclosure of assets notice of their own, as well as a moving van 
and the workers began to seize furniture from the lobby of this bank in the same way that a bank might foreclose on a family. Can you imagine that? Workers started carrying out chairs and desks and computers, and guess what happened? About an hour later, they got paid. (laughs) Wow. Don't you just love it when the little guy turns the tables on on the big, powerful institution? And we love it. Even in the the tiniest ways, even when in the tiniest ways justice prevails. I I had a chuckle over a story about a guy who rushed off to the grocery store one Saturday afternoon. He wanted to pick up some snacks because the big game was about to start, and he had invited some friends over to come and watch the game, and and the store was packed. All kinds of people. It's it's Saturday night at Walmart, Saturday afternoon at Walmart, folks, you know. The store was packed, and, and he headed. He got his items, and he headed for the six-item express lane, the only one that had a, didn't have a long line. And there was this woman completely ignoring the sign who slipped into the checkout line just in front of him, pushing a cart that was piled up with groceries. Well, the man was just, he didn't say anything, but he was quietly fuming at what he knew would be a lengthy delay But much to his delight, the elderly cashier at the express lane motioned for the woman to come forward. And then the cashier looked over into the overflowing cart and asked so sweetly, so dearie, which of these six items do you want to buy? (laughs) I don't know if that really happened or not, but don't you wish it did? (laughs) And, and, and of course, it would be even better if it happened over something that was really significant. Some of you will remember the classic movie from the 1950s called Twelve Angry Men. In it, Henry Fonda plays a character on a jury. And for the other 11 people on the jury, the case was simple. It was open and shut. The defendant was guilty, they thought, and and they all voted that way right away. When they got into the jury room, they took a vote, 11 for guilty, and Henry Fonda voted not guilty. Fonda's character wanted to weigh the evidence. He wanted to sift through everything to find a just verdict. And and throughout the deliberations, Fonda was, was firm in his insistence that the jury owed this young man who was facing the death penalty all due consideration. And so piece by piece, each bit of evidence was weighed, at first reluctantly, and then as as new conclusions were drawn, as new information came to light, one by one the other jurors were convinced by Fonda that reasonable doubt did exist. And so they, too, voted not guilty. Justice was done because one man refused to go along with the majority. My friends, it takes a strong person to stand up to his or her peers and do the right thing. It is so much easier to do the easy thing than it is to do the right thing. And that's true in school when bullying is taking place. It's easy to just ignore it. It's true at work when ethical corners are being cut. It's easier just to ignore it. It's true in the community when we see an injustice taking place of any kind. It's easier just to ignore it. And I say that it takes a strong person to stand up to one's peers, but I wish I could simply say it takes a Christian to stand up to one's peers. But unfortunately, too often Christians are content to just be nice and sweet. We've been taught that, haven't we? Be nice and sweet rather than people who stand up to evil. And when you think about it, it's hard to believe that we call ourselves followers of the one who went to the cross because of the evil and injustice of this world when we in turn are so timid about confronting evil ourselves. 
You know, I'm afraid that we sometimes have the wrong impression of Jesus. We do. Too often Jesus is portrayed as as a really nice, sweet guy. But you know what? If you take a closer look, you'll realize that Jesus was a troublemaker. (laughs) He was a troublemaker. He even even said at one point that he had come not not to bring peace but a sword. And there was no neutral ground in his view of the world. You were either on the side of God's kingdom or you were a child of Satan. You either either belong to the light or you belong to the darkness. You are either hot or cold. And Revelation tells us that if you were lukewarm, he was going to spit you out of his mouth. Those are strong words, aren't they? Because they're strong ideas. And we all need to hear them today because I'm afraid that too many Christians today are confusing humility with timidity. They are not the same, folks. Jesus was humble, but he wasn't timid. You don't pick up a whip and turn over tables and drive money changers out of the temple if you're timid. You don't do that. But you say, well, what about that beatitude that says, blessed are the meek? Well, let's talk about that for a minute. That word that Jesus used here, praus, It doesn't really mean what we think it means, meekness. It really comes closer to to meaning obedient. And one example of how that that word is used, pros is used, it's used to describe a war horse going into battle. Typically a soldier on on the back of a, a horse preparing for battle, he's got a sword or a spear in one hand, he's holding a, a, a shield in the other hand, and so guess what, he has no hands to to use the reins to guide the horse. And so the horse is trained to obey the the subtle nudges of the soldier's knee or the click of a tongue or a shift in weight. And the horse knows what to do if it's it's uh, reading the the soldier's mind. And, And then they fearlessly charge into battle where chaos ensues. And folks, let me tell you something. That horse is obedient, but not timid. And a humble Christian is obedient to the commands of God, but not timid in the face of injustice. Jesus needs people who will speak out against evil and injustice. Jesus needs people who will boldly witness for their faith. And Jesus needs people who are conciliatory, who are willing to meet others halfway, but he doesn't need people who are content to be doormats. I'm afraid that the Christian community no longer really has has much impact on our world simply because we no longer stand for anything important. If truth be told, most of us are more concerned with not rocking the boat. We're afraid of offending our neighbor. We're afraid that others will criticize us, especially Facebook, (laughs) you know. What in the world do we think Jesus meant when he said that we are to be his followers and we must deny ourselves and take up a cross and follow him? Do you think he meant that we need to rush out to the jewelry store, buy a little trinket and wear it around our neck and and be sure that we don't miss Sunday school three weeks in a row? No. He meant a lot more than that. A woman came to Jesus to beg for his help. Her daughter was in desperate shape. And at first he seemed inclined just to ignore her. But the woman would not be put off. She stood her ground. She even engaged in a theological debate with this popular young rabbi, the son of God himself. And Jesus was so impressed with her that he praised her in a way that he only praised one other person in the New Testament. Woman, he said, 
You have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was immediately healed. She was a woman of great faith. And that great faith also gave her great courage. Can that be said of us? Are you a woman or a man of great faith and therefore great courage? Or are you content, satisfied to simply be, simply be another nice, sweet person who never ripples the waters, never stands up to your peers? Let's pray for the courage of our beliefs. Let's pray that we will be authentic followers of Jesus. Let us pray that we will be humble, but not timid. For it is in Christ's name, the one who stood up for us, that we make our prayer. Amen. Let's sing together our closing hymn, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. And folks, don't sing it if you don't mean it. And I hope it's loud in here today. Because we need to mean it. And following is more than, like I said, coming to Sunday school three weeks in a row and wearing a cross. Following means following. And that ain't easy. Pardon my grammar. It's not easy to follow Jesus because Jesus' ways go totally opposite to our natural inclination. When we feel like, usually when we feel like we need to speak, Jesus is saying, shut up. (laughs) And on the flip side of that, when we feel timid and feel like, I'll just let this slide. That's when Jesus is saying, you need to speak up. So, we need to decide, are we going to follow Jesus or not? Let's sing. As you go from here today, let me remind you that your strength must come from the Lord's mighty power within you. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand safe against all the strategies and tricks of the evil one. Open your eyes to the injustice around you and stand up for what is right, knowing that God stands with you. Amen. Amen.